0: Welcome to the Standardized Patients Podcast. I am your host and enjoyer of all pumpkin beer, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, the what, why, and how of this quirky industry that no one has ever heard of. So what is a standardized patient, you may ask? Well, a standardized patient is a... Person who lets medical students practice on them. Boom. (laughs) That voice you just heard is Jennifer Brown, who is our guest today. Jennifer has been an SP for about a decade now and a PETA P E T A, physical exam teaching associate for almost as long. She came to this work when falling back on her theater undergrad degree after leaving the practice of law. She loves the dynamic nature of the work and the positive energy of being surrounded by both medical students and creative colleagues. She does not love how often our call time is as early as 7 a.m. Agreed. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to have you here today. And I, uh, I could not agree more with those early call times. They're rough. They're very they are. rough. They are. And they're common. Like, that's surprising. They're amount. They're common.
1: Of them. I do kind of love how we're all kind of sitting together, quiet, eating our breakfast. <laughs> There's, There's a calmness. Quite- Yes. There's something kind of nice about that quiet, calm morning, but I'd rather not leave for work at (laughs) 6.15.
0: Totally agree. What is your favorite time to come in to do an SP event?
1: So definitely morning. I would definitely rather come in in the morning, just not that early. So maybe like eight or nine, just not as early as seven. do not love working at night (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because my brain is no longer working at night.
0: (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. So I've known you for a while, but you've been in SP for about a decade. How did you get into SP work? Okay. So it was weird. (laughs) So I had been a lawyer and I stopped
1: doing it, not because I didn't like it, but because I Couldn't I felt like I couldn't do anything else. I was working 70 hours a week. And for me, that's really what it took to do the job right. And I had an undergrad in theater and I quit practicing on. So one of the first things I did was I was like, I'm gonna audition. And I auditioned for a play. The first play I auditioned for, I got a part in it. And it was JB at the American Century Theater. Mm -hmm. And I was in rehearsal for that. And I said to some of the people at rehearsal, Because when I was acting, my acting years were way prior. Like in my 20s, when I was living in Chicago, you know, there were certain jobs that actors did for day jobs. Mm -hmm. But those days were long behind me. And now I was in DC and I didn't know what actors did for day jobs. So I said to them, okay, what do actors do for day jobs around here? And they said, we're standardized patients. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) And they explained it. And I googled the websites for local schools and it took forever for one to call me but one finally did and put me right on the map consortium which is big huge exam that's given to third years kind of all around the dc
0: area and so you got right in with that and the rest is history i guess
1: yeah, I do right in.
0: And that's a great way to meet a lot of other SPs if you're going straight into the MAC Consortium. yes, yeah. so It's really interesting that you also have this background in law. Just out of curiosity, have you ever done any law role playing? No, I won't do it because it would drive me crazy.
1: So usually those are run by this group called NIDA, National Institute for Trial Advocacy, I think. I... I'm a really experienced trial lawyer and I have a lot of really, really strong opinions about like what makes a good direct examination, what makes a good cross-examination. And it would be impossible for me to just sit there and be the witness Mm -hmm. and listen to the advice given
0: to the students. Wow. Yeah.
1: I feel like I would want to pull my hair out and like teach the people myself how to do it. So I just avoid it. I just avoid it completely because it would drive me crazy.
0: Totally. Oh, that makes complete sense. I get that. So instead you work teaching med students where you have a little bit, it sounds like more input too than you would if you were doing the the law school role playing. So we're breaking it down to basics today with our topic. We're talking about what is a case? Yeah. So Jennifer, tell me what you think about that topic.
1: Okay, so I love that topic. The reason I love that topic is because when people ask me, oh, you're a standardized patient, and I tell them what I told you, a standardized patient is someone who lets med students practice on them, they look at me with this crazy blank stare. Like, does that mean just some random medical student comes in a room and does whatever they want? No. No. <laughs> And so the first thing I explain to people when they want to know what a standardized patient is, is what a case is. Oh, okay. That's how I explain it, that we have these things called cases. And, you know, it's 2022. So it's a document on my computer. Or 10 years ago, I would have had pieces of paper in my hand handed to me at a training that have the details of a patient who maybe has stomach pain, and it has details about that stomach pain. How bad is the pain on a scale of one to 10? It's a seven. Does it radiate anywhere? Yes, it goes through to the back, you know, and then past medical history. Yes, they have diabetes, social history. Did they ever smoke? Where do they work? So all of these details are given to us. When you're talking about a standardized patient, that's the standardized part. So, like, if there's three of us doing the same case the same day, we all see different medical students, but we should be answering questions in pretty much exactly the same way as per written in the case.
0: Mm -hmm. So,
1: usually, whenever we do a standardized patient project, not every single time, but most times, we're given a case.
0: Yeah. And what do people typically say when you explain it like that? I think they get it. They'll say, oh, so do you have to
1: memorize all of it? And I'll mm-hmm. say, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. That's part of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And are there any other typical follow-up questions that they'll give you besides the memorization one?
1: So do you have to memorize it? Is that hard? Depends on the case.
0: <laughs> True. Um, depends on what the people who wrote it have decided to do. No, that's really it. So what would you say was your very first experience with a case? So when you first started as a standardized patient... Did it feel overwhelming yeah. to you? It did. So like
1: I told you, I started out with the Mac Consortium, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is a big project. And I think at least the case that I did was a pretty big case. And when I say big case, I mean a lot of pages.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: like, so like, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 pages of details And when I'm talking about a case, I said, you know, I'm talking about a document. I've seen cases that are a page and a half. I've seen cases that are 30 pages. Mm -hmm. So they vary a lot. My first case was quite long and had a lot of detail in it. It was one of those cases that was easy to memorize, though, for some reason. You know, sometimes things are just easier. I think maybe it all just kind of made sense. That was my first case, was a
0: Matt case. Do you think that cases are easier to memorize when they're well-written? Mom, you have to kind of define well-written.
1: True. Because, okay. So, okay, so here's an experience I had with a case that made me mad. I'll give you an example of a case that was hard to memorize. So I had I was given a case, and I don't even remember I don't even remember what was wrong with the patient. I don't even remember what the diagnose, supposed diagnosis was or whatever. But I just remember it was like like so thick it was like 40 pages long. It was like the longest case I had ever seen in my life, Whoa. and it had detail after detail after detail after detail after detail about this person's life that had nothing to do with their medical issue and though the thing that stands out to me is that this person one of their hobbies was that they liked to read mystery books specifically (laughs) Agatha Christie and I was like (laughs) okay so here's the thing about memorizing a case my brain can only hold so much right And so if I'm stuck on Agatha Christie and trying to remember Agatha Christie, all of a sudden my past medical history goes out the window.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's what I don't like is a case that is so long and has so many details that don't have anything to do with the case that my brain gets so stuffed that I have trouble remembering everything in the moment. And I'm a stickler for knowing everything exactly the way it is in the case. Mm. So I will beat it into my head and I will spend all that extra time to get it perfect. But then I'm irritable about it. Right. Right. And, um, and in the moment in the room, if the case is truly that long and I'm truly trying to remember everything, I'm going to forget something and it might be something important instead of something dumb. Like Agatha Christie.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a question of cognitive load, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and especially while you're doing an SP case with a student, for me, I think of like, there's two things I have to remember. I have to remember the case, and I have to remember what the student did or didn't ask or do. And I'm keeping yes. like separate little buckets in my brain of that information. Mm-hmm. And one bucket has the case stuff that I'm spitting out of my mouth, and the other bucket is trying to remember what the student did or didn't do to do mm-hmm. the checklist. So if there's too much in the case, I have trouble with those
0: buckets. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So That's it's a question of yeah, it's a question of cognitive load.
0: Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Regarding that, like when you were to break down a case, for instance, So let's just say if somebody were to put together a case for the first time and yeah. make it not too much of cognitive load, ideally... Right. Um, as much as I love Agatha Christie, which I do, mind you, uh, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily need to no. be in a case. Uh, I can't even imagine why it would be in a no. case. No. However, what would you say are the main components of a standard, standardized patient case? Well, it depends on the case. But um,
1: generally speaking, what you're going to have is you're going to have a chief complaint. So you're going to have an opening statement that everybody's going to say the same way that's going to deliver the chief complaint. So it's going to be something like, oh, my stomach is killing me, or I keep having these headaches, or I keep tripping when I walk or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the opening statement. Some cases have a follow-up where if the student is smart and asks, a really open ended follow up, like tell me more, then we're going to give them some information. So like, say I said, Oh, my stomach really hurts. And they say, tell me more, I might have a written follow up that says, well, it's been really hurting since this morning, or it's really achy, or whatever, like there mm-hmm. might be some extra information in there for them. So there's an opening statement. And sometimes there's a follow up, then there's the information about the illness itself that we have. Especially for pain cases, it tends to be the same kind of information. So what's the character of the pain? Is it achy? Is it stabby? Is it dull? Is it whatever? How severe is it? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how severe is your pain? Does it radiate? Does the pain move around anywhere? Is it constant? Does it come and go? Does anything make it better? Does anything make it worse? So all of the answers to those things that a doctor is supposed to ask about pain Will be written out for us if it's a case that has um, pain. So, like any questions, you know, chief complaint, really, there's going to be information in there about our chief complaint so that we could answer any question that comes up about it. Then, once you and, and we call that the HPI history of present illness. Moving on from that, there's usually some past medical history, there's what kind of medications we are or are not on. Mm-hmm. There is family medical history. Yep. And then there's social history that will include. Usually a social history is just going to include your job, alcohol, smoking, and drugs. It may include your relationship status if that's relevant. It may include where you live if that's relevant. Like let's say you had a case where it mattered if the person had been exposed to a lot of lead it may be included in the case Mm -hmm. that your house is only two years old Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: so that you know that there's not lead in the house Mm -hmm. but to other cases it doesn't matter what kind of house you live in so that isn't necessarily in there so um you know social history it just kind of depends what's relevant um, as far as what's in there hobbies are sometimes in there Mm -hmm. so i was complaining about hobbies with the agatha christie thing (laughs) because (laughs) that had nothing to do with the complaint in that case. Hobbies can sometimes be relevant. You know, I mean, I suppose if you had a depression case and all someone wanted to do was read and watch TV or whatever, you could tell that they weren't leaving their house. You could tell that they weren't going out in the sunshine. maybe that maybe then the fact that they were sitting around reading mysteries would matter. Um, Maybe like hobbies might matter. Let's say someone, it it clues the doctor into the fact that they're really um, active. Um, Like if their hobby is riding their bike and swimming, um, then they know that they're getting exercise and maybe that's relevant to the diagnosis. So, you know, every once in a while, some of these social history things will actually be relevant to what's going on with the history of the present illness. So those are like the main things I think that are in a case. I don't think I'm missing anything big. The only thing I would add is sometimes we have these challenge questions Mm -hmm. we're supposed to ask. So Every once in a while, I think of them as doorknob questions because I think that's how it was explained to me the first time I heard it, that I was in a training the first time I did a case with a challenge question and the trainer described it as a doorknob question that you have to get new doctors used to the idea that, they're going to have an entire encounter with a patient and as they've got their hand on the doorknob, ready to leave the room, the patient is going to say, Oh, wait a minute. I have this other issue. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Yeah. yeah. So, um, So sometimes there's challenge questions and I don't think that with student doctors, we would give them a whole new issue in the challenge question. We wouldn't be like, oh, we came for, I came for stomach pain. By the way, I have these headaches. We wouldn't challenge them that much, but we might say, oh, is there anything you can give me for the pain now? You know, Mm -hmm. something like that, something related.
0: Yeah. Which then might open up an opportunity for validation and empathy or even to just, either walk out the door and say, I'll look into it or to come back into the room and and actually like address it. So I think that they're challenge questions typically for a reason that they've thrown them in there. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but as an SP, sometimes I feel really bad about the challenge questions because a lot of times they're almost out of time, especially if it's an examination (laughs) situation. And all of a sudden I know I have to do it when this specific thing happens. And if they have five minutes left, all is well. If they have 20 seconds left, not all is well, typically. And yeah. they know it and I know it. And yeah, so, but it is I the feel nature. The same. Now, can you expand a little bit more on what family history would be written into a case? Oh.
1: Yeah. So family history is just going to be family medical history, right? So mm-hmm. let's say it's a case about peripheral neuropathy. Mm-hmm. So let's say I'm having tangling in my feet and legs. And they don't know yet if I have diabetes. They're gonna say, tell me about your family medical history. Well, if I tell them my mom has diabetes, they're now their differential is even stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the case for the case for diabetes being on their differential is even stronger than it was just with the peripheral neuropathy. So family medical history is always gonna be included. And you know, that's just gonna be mom had diabetes and high blood pressure dad had, you know, a stroke and passed away three years ago. So like if parents had passed away from something that's usually listed, Mm -hmm. if they're alive and well, their medical conditions are listed. If you have siblings, them and their
0: medical conditions are going to be listed. And that's really all that is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And sometimes family history is written in super complex. There's like You know everything about your grandparents and your parents and your siblings and your husband or your wife or your spouse your kids there's other times where i've had a case where you're an only child you're adopted you don't know the your medical history no kids no spouse no you know so it's very that can be let's like we're not here to talk about that so we're gonna move on to yeah right um it can be a time saver well, and I've sometimes had
1: cases that were so small that they actually didn't in, even include any. So under those circumstances, I just give the most neutral answer possible. You know, um, mom and dad alive and a well. while. What about your grandparents? Nobody ever
0: told me anything about them. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Yeah. So let's actually talk a little bit more about that whole neutrality thing of when something is not written into a case, which does happen unlike that agatha christie one um there are so many times that even if a case has tons of details sometimes the students will still ask things that aren't in the case so can you expand upon the staying neutral and how that works
1: yes so inevitably they will ask something that's not written in the case um Um, so this doesn't really have, she was staying neutral, but I remember a time that a student totally caught me off guard with it. So in the case, we had a dog and it was relevant to the case because we were walking the dog and that was our exercise or something. It was actually relevant. And, um, she looks at me and she says, what's your dog's name? And at the time I didn't have a dog (laughs) and I went completely blank. Because I hadn't thought about what the dog's name was. Sure. And I looked at her and I paused and I said, Rover? (laughs) (laughs) With with a question? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. (laughs) But that doesn't answer your question about neutrality. You know, (laughs) neutrality. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, we're over. So neutrality. So inevitably, they will ask you stuff you don't know the answer to. Something that actually trips me up a lot is they'll ask me my name. Mm. And of all the things in the case that I will forget, it's the name because I'm so busy looking at everything else. So I have actually had to, like, try to look at their folder
0: (laughs) to see my name. (laughs) but have, have you ever yeah. said that uh, what is the name that you have for the name me? that you have for me. The
1: neutrality thing. So try and remain neutral, right? If they ask you something that's not in the case. Well, we had the example of family history, right? So mm-hmm. like if it's a really bare bones case and it doesn't have any family history in there, you would just say that everybody was healthy, right? Let's say the case says you use marijuana. Mhm. And that's all the case says. And you haven't talked about that any further. And you get in the room with the student and they say, how much marijuana are you using? You're not going to say I smoke it morning, noon and night. Right. Right. You're going to say, oh, I might have a little bit on the weekend or something like that. You're going to keep things as far away from being able to affect your medical condition as possible, basically, Mm -hmm. you know, okay. Oh, you said um, for your exercise, you go running. How long do you run for? Oh, half an hour, not two hours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, do we have someone over exercising with bulimia or something like the minute you like steer away from neutrality, even with something like, Oh, the case says I run for exercise. If they ask me how long I run for, if i tell them some long time they that random oh this could be bulimia with extra running could come in their head is that some like i thought this was an abdomen pain case is it actually this other thing and they're tricking uh-huh. me you know so so you want to remain as neutral as possible not to send the student down some crazy rabbit hole do not no to give them
0: yeah do no harm <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly do no harm so speaking of tricking students if you will or yeah. having tricky cases yeah. there are certain cases that are meant to be a little trickier than others you know there's mm-hmm. the standard yeah. ones that are very physical like oh my stomach hurts let's go down the list so let's talk a little bit about what might be considered a tricky case I know we sometimes could have a doorknob question type scenario where it's a challenge question, not necessarily a tricky case, but they don't expect that there's going to be another question. Even if let's say they've asked you, so So miss so-and-so, do you have any questions before I leave? And and I say, no, I don't. But then I know that the moment that they touch the doorknob, for instance, I have Mm -hmm. to say, oh, but wait, could I get something for the pain? Mm-hmm. knowing that that is the cue, mm-hmm. what other things would you consider to be either kind of tricky or very tricky?
1: Well, there are the cases that are just tricky. Anytime a case could have a diagnosis that's caused by like multiple systems, yeah, you know, it could be something's wrong with your heart, but it could just be a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Or it could be something's wrong with your lungs. I think that is tricky for them. And I think, especially because most cases are very straightforward. Most cases are like, this is the diagnosis. These are the classic symptoms. And we're feeding it to you on a silver platter Mm -hmm. to figure Mm -hmm. out. Because most cases are like that. The few that are not, it could actually be multiple things Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. are tricky. Yeah. And I think often those are saved for when the students have a little bit more experience with standardized patients in that world. The silver platter ones are usually, they're started out with those because they're just getting used to all of the things. Right. So the trickier ones where it could be multiple diagnoses uh, are going to be later on. But then there's also when they do certain rotations, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. that there will be cases related to whatever Mm -hmm. they're focusing on, which- Yes. Can be really fun, and also I think can be tricky in the way that it's just less common for them it's a brand new scenario, so mm-hmm. one could be a spirituality based case mm-hmm. versus one is a sexual history based case mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. one is uh, which we've talked about in the past uh, on this podcast breaking bad news case so mm-hmm. what are your experiences with those type of cases so I have done a peds case
1: Mm. where I didn't have a child with me. Mm -hmm. So I was adopting a child and was there to talk about my concerns about it. So that was like a peds rotation. Mm -hmm. I've done like diabetes Mm -hmm. on, you know, a general med type, you know, internal medicine or family medicine type rotation. I've done all kinds of different cases on psych rotation. Mm-hmm. So I've done a lo- lot, I've done a lot of cases for rotations. Those are fun. Those are mm-hmm. fun because students are a little more advanced. And I think those cases do tend to be a little trickier
0: sometimes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think they're kind of, because they're on rotations, I think they often expect there to be much more of a narrow focus, like, okay, I'm on psych rotation, so I should be on the lookout for this patient, yes, who's coming yes. in. So therefore, I think they can be written to be a little bit more challenging sometimes right. because of that, because they have that more well, narrowed but, focus.
1: Yes, but then that gets frustrating because you'll have like an opening statement that's like, Oh, my stomach just really hasn't been feeling very well. And they're like, How's your mood? Yeah. <laughs> because it <laughs> because, they, because they're on there they know it's not a you know yeah know it's not so stomach. true so like <laughs> you know so I'm
0: always like there, I so, see what game you're playing like, lady. okay
1: all right can we at least go through the motions here people
0: yeah exactly <laughs> you would
1: not do that it's true you would not do that in real life
0: it's so you true would say
1: tell me more about your pain and then you would get there <laughs> you may suspect it but
0: yeah, you still got to play the game a little bit. Yeah, you got to play the game bit. a little bit, a little bit.
1: But they don't. They don't. They're like, "How's your mood? Are you?"
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but because of some of these things, for instance, if you're going back to our sample case that you were kind of talking us through of what a normal case might include, yeah, you know, mood, for instance, that's not always. In fact, most of the time, for general cases i don't think mood is typically even touched on sometimes it no. is no. or again back to the spiritual history like it's very rare yeah. that a spirituality yeah. will be written in right. unless right. it's more of a spiritual history case or right. they've just decided to add that in just in case or even sexual history when it's more right. pertinent for those specific right. types of things right. so the, right. so those cases can be much more heavy on those focused details and less heavy sometimes on some of the basic stuff that we talked about sometimes yeah i think one of
1: the things that i felt like was missing often with sexual history Mm. especially like as a woman doing a lot of abdominal pain cases yeah i i would think that they would ask that (laughs) or that we should at least be prepared to answer some questions about that I've definitely seen plenty of abdominal pain cases with no sexual history written in. Maybe it's just because students veer away from those questions that I've been lucky and haven't had to make too much about that up. But, you know, definitely like recent sexual history is going to be relevant with abdominal pain a lot of the time. An experienced doctor would definitely ask about it. That's often left out. And I've always been curious about that. I mean, I guess, I don't know, maybe because students never ask it. Maybe they get a little shy. They should,
0: but but they should. But they should. That makes sense. Now, let's talk just a little bit about let's say you have a case that has been written that's pretty basic, that's more physical based. And there are some things that the students either know they have to ask about or do on you as a physical maneuver that maybe you're not able to give them or provide for them, such as a pelvic exam or a rectal exam or certain finding of your lungs or your heart so sometimes we have to then give the students a card or verbally say this is what you would find or this is normal so can you talk a little bit about that from your experience (laughs)
1: yes oh gosh um (laughs) Uh all right all right oh gosh so i'm laughing because what comes immediately to mind is this time that I had a case with a lot of cards. Okay, (laughs) so Katie, I had four cards and we always have cards for pelvic exam and rectal exam because those are sensitive exams and we don't allow the students to perform them on us. So, uh, but a lot of the cases, it would make sense to do a pelvic or rectal exam. So we'll have cards for that. Well, this particular case, I had four cards. And there were SPs going in and out of the room. So to keep the cards straight, we all had to put them in the same exact location. Mm -hmm. And the, I think there was like a lung card that I was sitting on. I think there was a pelvic exam card that was on the side of the table. And then between my legs in a drawer on the table was the rectal exam card. I was lying down on the table, like the, the student had just done an ab exam and he said, I would also like to do a rectal exam. So I sat up and I had to spread my legs open because I had to reach down and get the drawer open to get the card. And he looks at me horrified and goes, Ma'am, ma'am, no, no, not now, ma'am, not now, no. <laughs> I scared. I scared him so badly, and I just reached down, got the card, (laughs) and handed it to him. I didn't know what to do. How did How did he react when you handed him the card? He was just like, "Oh, okay," and moved on. He was. He was fine. I was trying not to laugh. The whole. I mean, it was so hard so hard i don't know how i didn't laugh the rest of that entire encounter i don't know how i did his checklist
0: well just professionalism at its best you're able to keep it i'm i'm so impressed because that's hilarious that he's like he was talking to a dog or like a pet like no he was like no, no 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 no, ma'am
1: ma'am he kept calling me ma'am and i was like oh gosh (laughs) this is bad
0: this is bad. Real panic was going on. Real panic. Oh, I bet he'll never forget that, though. No, no. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good story. Thank you for sharing that. That makes me so happy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I. That was even better than I thought it could have been. <laughs> oh, man, no. Um, oh, so, man. okay. So, we've heard some <laughs> wonderfully funny stories. And the cards are, they're usually pretty relevant. And And I agree that, like, there are different places that we put the cards that, you yeah know, that so we can get them straight in our mind. so if the person says, "I'm going to do a pelvic exam, we don't accidentally give them the lung exam or right. the rectal exam. so right. Now, what's something that you find you know meaningful about these cases that has kind of affected you in a way you didn't expect, perhaps?
1: Just having so much medical knowledge now. Yeah, it's weird how much medical knowledge I have now? People will be like, are you a doctor? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm a standardized patient. Well, how do you know all of this? I've just done like 100 cases and it's come up, you know? (laughs) So that's been kind of interesting just to learn a little tiny bit. You know, it's like, like my sister's a doctor and I think of her knowledge as being miles deep. My knowledge is like, you know, a centimeter deep. But it's still like knowledge, you know. Yeah. So it, it's been interesting to learn a lot of stuff about different medical conditions. Um, learn about treatment about mm. different medical conditions. That's yeah. really interesting. Learn to work with the students. I love the students. Mm. That's why I do it. I would do mm-hmm. it for free if I won the lottery. Mm-hmm. I would still be. I would still be a standardized patient because I love those students. And my colleagues, Katie. Oh, of course. Oh. But also my students, like, I love them so much. These med students, I tell people, like, the med schools must be doing something right in their admissions process because I get such positive energy from them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just really, really enjoy them. I really enjoy interacting with them, even when it's just for 15 minute blocks of time. I love meeting them. I love seeing them learn. I love seeing them work, you know. So just like working cases with med students has been the most meaningful to me. Just like, you know, watching people be in the process of mm-hmm. learning on their feet is amazing. It's like a gift to get to to watch somebody learn like that. To be yeah. a part of that process, it's amazing. So, I mean, that's definitely like the most that I get out of it is just
0: being able to like be in the room and do the cases with the students. That's incredible, and it is meaningful. And yeah, just as an educator, you know, you you kind of sit back and think, "Gosh, I'm watching these people just grow and learn as we yeah. speak and as we do the case, and to have that." wherewithal to be able to notice that and enjoy that.
1: And also the students are
0: often very passionate. They're very, especially in standardized patient encounters and when getting to be hands-on, like you mentioned, they get to really use their skills and work on them. And if they fail, that's okay because it's a learning experience and it's always working towards making them a better medical professional in the future. So it's so cool to see them be engaged and excited yeah. and I would say for the most part, take it quite seriously. Yeah. And honestly, that's um, the best way to promote being a standardized patient is saying, even if you won the lottery, you I would, would do, do this for free.
1: I would. I would do it. I would totally do it. I wouldn't do it as much as I do it now.
0: <laughs> you Maybe you wouldn't do the 7 a.m. I wouldn't calls. be
1: there at 7 a.m. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but 9 a.m., I-
1: but 9 a.m. I would, yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely still do it.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much to Jennifer Brown. You were an amazing guest. We really appreciate it. And if you ever want to come back, you just let us know. (laughs) We can do cases round two.
1: Thank you.
0: And you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, Mr. Garita. You can find their music at Artlist. Thank you to Catherine Babalek for the the behind-the-scenes work, audio post-production, and cover art. That's our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work.